Welcome to the Checkered to Green podcast with your hosts, David Maudie and Elliot Tardiff. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening to this, this is From Checkered to Green, the podcast. All about racing, as told by three lifelong racing fans, and from time to time, talking about the business aspects of racing. The green it takes to take the green. Welcome, everyone, to episode 11. I am David Moy, alongside my colleagues, Elliot Tardiff and Ryan Kolpak. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening, sir. As always, good to chat with you gentlemen again. How is everyone? Doing very well, thank you. Same here, doing very well up here in Syracuse. Yep, uh, we've been uh, stuck down in the uh, the clouds and the gray and uh, in some areas the ice uh, here lately, but uh, finally got a little bit of sun today and uh, going to have some more sun this weekend. It'll be nice. Uh, uh, there's a lot of muddy yards down here, a lot of rivers actually starting to run over their banks and uh, so it'll be good to dry things out here for a couple days. That's good. Yeah, around here in Buffalo, New York, it's pretty much a typical winter. Low to mid-teens. This week, we got a couple of rounds of snow. Nothing crazy. First one, got about eight inches worth. This last one, about five. So pretty much what you expect in this part. Yeah, that's what's happening up here, right? In typical winter up here in in central New York. And you know what? I got to say, I, I, I missed the boat on taking down my Christmas decorations that first weekend in January. Now, um, Santa's kind of buried. You only see his hat in my yard. Man, what a way to go. <laughs> well, you know, got, you know, got to take care of that snow. But, hey, at least, you don't, at least I don't have the snow throwers that's being recalled right now. So What for? Um, uh, from what I heard, thank you, Howard Simon and WGR 550 bringing up this morning, somehow the auger, um, starts Uh-oh. up by itself. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, you know, good thing I don't have that. I actually Googled this morning when I heard that to see which one I'm like, okay, don't have that. I'm good, but yeah, not fun. But gentlemen, hey, did you stay up late to watch Daytona Sunday night? <laughs> I did. Um, I thought there was no way they were going to get that race going again. Um, and I think if the, the rain had continued another 10, 15 minutes, they very well might not, uh, might not have. They would have probably gone to the next day. But um, I. I DVR'd it. I I watched to the end of stage one, and I just kept saying, "Next show, record, 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 record." I probably did it up until like three a.m. and watched it. The you know knew who won earlier. You know, late in the evening when my or early morning when my phone buzzed at one a.m. to tell me who won, but. Yeah, I got. It. I I enjoyed it uh, watching it the next day. So, Brian, did you stay up late? 
Unfortunately, I could not, being that I get up at 5 a.m. to go to work. That kind of wasn't an option, but I did enjoy watching the results the next day, as you did. Well, definitely was a good race, and congrats to Michael McDowell. And speaking of that, Elliot, why don't you kick us off with our checkered segment, and let's talk Daytona. Let's do it. Uh, let's talk the uh, the granddaddy of them all, the 63rd running of the Daytona 500. Um, uh, started off on time, but uh, Mother Nature uh, decided to intervene. Uh, she has, uh, uh, she did last year as well. Uh, this time, instead of waiting until Monday, it was a little over five hour red flag. And then they got back after it and uh, the racing commenced again. Um, and at the end of 500 miles, um, Another unpredictable finish and came out of the pack first, but uh, underdog driver Michael McDowell and his number 34 loves travel stops front row motorsports entry. Um, taking the uh, the ring, taking the Harley J. Earl trophy and the Daytona 500 championship. Uh, it's, it is his first career win. Um, it is not the first win for the front row motorsports team. Um, I believe the, uh, 34, the 38, one of them, uh, won Talladega a few years ago. And, uh, the 34 actually with Chris Busher, um, won in Pocono when, uh, the fog set in and he was out front and took the win, uh, that day as well. So this is, um, a huge, huge event for uh, a huge win for the for this team um, and for this driver who's um, been a part of the series for a very long time uh, some good rides some not so good and um, has uh, put in his time and put in his dues and um, this team is is a, a very good uh, speedway racing uh, team uh, and You've got a driver here that uh, is, you know, pretty pretty solid on uh, on super speedways and road courses, and uh, he got it done. Um, um, it was a crazy last lap finish uh, that featured a wreck starting between uh, two Penske teammates, Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski. Um, and according to Eric Estep's show, uh, there's. Uh, been an icy silence between the two drivers uh, since the Daytona 500. Apparently, neither of them have spoken to each other, um, although uh, I believe Logano indicated that uh, they will uh, sometime here in the coming days. Um, so a uh, number of drivers were taken out in that wreck, um, and the wreck um, uh, featured at least one very severe impact um, uh, on the part of Brad Keselowski getting turned head on into the wall and then Kyle Busch uh, running into um, his right side at pretty much full speed, um, setting off uh, a, a huge fire, uh, uh, lots of sparks, really grinding crash. Um, uh, it actually wiped out all of the Team Penske cars with the exception of Ryan Blaney. Um, as uh, the uh, two, the 22, and also the 33 for Austin Sindrick um, was taken out in that last lap crash. Uh, Blaney was actually taken out in an earlier wreck um, that was started when uh, Christopher Bell got into the back of Eric Almirola on lap 14. 
uh, and touched off a massive melee then as well. Um, so McDowell took the checkers. Chase Elliott finished second. Um, Austin Dillon finished third. Kevin Harvick finished fourth. Denny Hamlin, who had arguably the dominant car of the day, leading 98 laps in total, uh, finished fifth. Ryan Priest um, uh, got his wreck avoidance on uh, this race and brought it home sixth. Ross Chastain finished seventh in his first outing with Chip Ganassi Racing. Jamie McMurray in the number 77 car uh, had an eventful race, uh, but brought it home eighth. Corey LaJoy in his first outing with Spire Motorsports, the number seven entry, uh, brought it home ninth. And Kyle Larson in his return to NASCAR with Hendrick Motorsports finished in 10th. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, I got to say, it, it was a good race. I mean, congratulations to Michael McDowell winning it. I mean, Daytona, the 500, you have to think, you get these, um, once in a while, you get these drivers that you never think could win it, and and they do. Look at Trevor Bain, mm-hmm. um, you know, back Derek in, Cope. yeah, Derek Cope, Ernie yep. Irvin. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sterling Marlin. Yep. I mean, McMurray. McMurray. Walt, Michael Waltrip. Michael Waltrip, yep. I mean, it's it's just uh, amazing for for them, for him to do it. And I just, I, 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 I look at both of those wrecks that happen. I mean, the, the first thing I got to say is how clean were they? in that final stage they were they were running clean mm-hmm. i mean i i mean there was no rain in sight that nope. after it and and they ran clean and i think it's probably been one of the more cleaner daytona 500s and i, I think it was really good it's i mean two big wrecks you know questions are going to come into play about the bump draft i i think I think the issue of backing up now where, okay, I'm going to get a run. I'm going to back up into the guy. Both wrecks proved bad. I mean, the, the one with El Marola, you know, he backed up and Kyle Bush, you know, was back up into Kyle Bush and get turned. And then you look at, the Logano one, the, the Keselowski, he was backing up to McDowell and, and same thing, got the push and just turned the car. It just turned. So it, one of the things they may have to do is address that. Um, but great job for him. I know Bubba Wallace was running good and had a, you know, was involved with that rack. I mean, scary wreck in the end, but yeah, most most certainly, yeah, it was it was a good race. I think I think people are just going to have to, you know, think twice before they do some things like that. Yep, um, and it the uh, the nature of both wrecks, to your point, David, was um, the the backs of these cars, um, the the place where you have to hit in order to have an effective bump draft and keep both cars going straight 
is very small. Um, and if you hit them, you know, just even a little bit, um, you know, off, off center, then it, it uh, results in problems. And that happened yeah. in both cases. Um, in, I think the last wreck, um, McDowell was coming with such a head of steam that, um, uh, now in this case, I think, uh, Keselowski was trying to deke inside and Logano tried to come down and get him. Um, and both Keselowski and McDowell had so much momentum that there was no stopping them. And, uh, so that sent Logano spinning. And then when, uh, um, Keselowski hit him, then that got him off center and it slowed him down a little bit. And just like in, uh, what was it? 2018, 2019, with Dylan and Al Marola on the 2018. last lap. 2018, yeah. thank you. Uh, it turned um, the two to the right and it turned him head on into the fence. Yeah, and, and that's something I think they gotta, they, they gotta, you know, you know, with these cars, I mean, what's gonna, I mean, and here's the thing, next year comes the next gen car. So whole, it's gonna be a whole different ball game with it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, great race overall, and I, I I applaud them for being as clean as they they have been in this race. Yeah, they were. The only thing is, though, is that um, you know for a good part of the race, um, and we've seen this with other recent restrictor plate races, um, you know they all line up single file and just run the top lane for a bunch of yeah. laps, just log laps, um, and it seems like it's it's kind of tough to get that bottom lane working yeah. Um, unless, Wait. you know, you get right down to it at the end, you know? Yeah. That's something Dale Jr. was touching on and on his podcast about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, yeah, these can't get the bottom lane going, but unless you get enough cars Yep. to do it. Yep. So, um, so that was the Daytona 500. Let's, uh, Let's move on to some of the other events that happened during uh, during the weekend. Um, moving on to the Xfinity race that happened the day before. Um, this was the Beef It's What's for Dinner 300. Um, and that was won by Austin Sindrick, the 22 Team Penske entry. Um, led 28 laps and uh, um, held off all comers at the end. Um, Brett Moffitt in the O2 car finished second. Um, Harrison Burton brought it home third. Jeb Burton finished fourth. Um, AJ Allmendinger, um, in his first full-time outing with Colleague Racing, brought it home fifth. Brandon Brown uh, brought it home sixth. Seventh, Brandon Degovic uh, finished eighth. Daniel Hemrick, in his first outing with uh, Gibbs Motorsports, uh, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, excuse me, um, the, uh, the 18 car uh, finished ninth, Jason White, um, uh, an underdog racer himself, after starting shotgun on the field in 40th position. Gentlemen, what were your thoughts on the uh, Xfinity race? Uh, I'm going to be honest here. I, I did miss that race that day. I, I, I caught some of the highlights. I knew they had a wreck. Um, near the end i'm just looking through racing reference and 
you know, they had some multi-car wrecks, I mean, in there, but I just, I mean, I, I gotta say it, it's good to see Austin Sindrick pick up where he left off. Yep. Um, I, I think running in the duels probably helped him for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just think that's really good to see him do that. I think he's going to be a a force to come in the next few years, especially if he goes up to cup, and especially if um, you've got this not speaking to each other with Keselowski and Logano, which if they ever result you know if they do resolve this how you know how's this carry on because if Cindric does very well you know Penske might come to say well I got Blaney he he does well he you know he he doesn't go after his teammates but I have this rift between these two who do I get rid of so um you know if I'm Keselowski, look out. I patch things up and make sure you, you don't get into that. But glad to see Almendinger top five. Um, both Burn brothers, really good. Glad to see them in the top 10. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it, it was a good start to that season for them. I mean, I wish I could give more on it. Yeah, um, and it's interesting, David, that you talk about, um, uh, you know, we touched on uh, the clean nature of the racing um, before uh, with the uh, with the Daytona 500, um, and that was true uh, for much of uh, the Xfinity race since early on, um, but once they got that figured out, then the rest of stage one went off caution-free, stage two went off caution-free, and it was only once we started getting towards the end of the race um, was when you started seeing uh, problems develop. Um, and uh, the, the big wreck towards the end uh, was touched off by the, uh, the 54 and the 18 cars getting together going into turn three, um, which then touched off a, uh, a pretty sizable wreck um, and uh, took out a lot of uh, competitive cars, including... Uh, Justin Allgaier, the seven car, uh, Haley, the 11, Josh Berry, Riley Herbst, um, and uh, uh, sent a number of other cars spinning, uh, Hemrick included. Um, so, um, you know, it's just, a, uh, you know, in, in all of these races, you, you know, you get down towards the end and it being Daytona, um, you know, you want to get going and you want to win. And so, um, you know, when that happens, then, uh, you know, things happen. So, um, but, uh, you know, in this kid, uh, in this case, Cindric was able to, uh, steer clear of that and, and, uh, uh, was able to bring home the win. Uh, Ryan, do you have any thoughts? You got to take your hat off to Austin Cindric. It's the sort of question. If you ask him, it's like, Hey, you just won the championship. What are you going to do next season? Oh, I'm going to start off by winning Daytona. Uh, that's someone who decided I have come here to compete with the best to become one of them myself and performing like that. I think he could put himself in that argument in short order. Yes, sir. 
So we uh, hit. Oh, go ahead, Davis. Uh, so I mean, we've already got two series there down. We, you know, we we've talked about the cup, the Xfinity, Ryan. Really quick, I, I know we we jumped onto the Xfinity, but what was your thoughts about Daytona, about the five hundred? I, honestly, a lot more exciting than I was anticipating. I figured with the uh, rain delay, it's like, oh, everyone's going to, you know, probably dial it back just a little bit, take it easy going through the race. And then they decided, nope, we're all going to full breakneck speed and hoping for the best. And I kept us on the edge of our seats. There's no doubt of that. And to one point that you made earlier, Elliot, Ryan Priest, I think he showed everyone that he has what it takes to handle a car under the heaviest of pressure. I was impressed with how he weaved through that without ending up wrecked. That's a guy I think we should be watching. I agree with you, Ryan, completely. And, and, uh, you know, Priest, he's, uh, you know, one of these guys that, uh, you know, come up in, in my neck of the woods, uh, in New England, um, and, you know, proved himself in, in other series, uh, getting into cup. Um, but, uh, as, as, definitely been uh, uh, kind of a hard luck story here, uh, especially last year. Um, had a number of um, decent, if not solid runs uh, undone by trouble. Um, you know, a fair number of, of uh, those not being of his, his making. Um, and, you know, having a, at one point a number of last place finishes uh, that, uh, you know, really hurt him. Uh, during the year. So to see him um, turn around and, you know, with no points, no charter, no cover, be able to qualify for the 500 and then to finish as well as he did um, certainly speaks to uh, his talent and the, um, the strength of his team as well. So uh, moving on to the, uh, Camping World Truck Series, uh, the next Energy 250, uh, which ran on that Friday. Um, this was another race that featured a, uh, a barn burner of a finish. Um, and this time it was Ben Rhodes, the number 99 truck uh, that eked out the win uh, over the number three of Jordan Anderson uh, and the number 04 of Corey Roper, who was leading on the white flag lap. Um, but uh, uh, Rhodes uh, had just enough of a run to, uh, 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 to sneak by and take the checkers. Uh, Ryan Truex finished fourth. Carson Hosevar, one of the Rookie of the Year contenders, finished fifth. Uh, Sheldon Creed, sixth. John Hunter Nemechek um, in the number four entry for Kyle Busch Motorsports, finished seventh. Cody Rohrbaugh. Finished in eighth, Chandler Smith in the number 18 truck, another rookie, uh, finished ninth, and Drew Dollar brought home the number 51 truck in the 10th position. Um, this one uh, was another one that featured some, uh, some last lap fireworks um, with uh, uh, trucks spinning off into the grass. Um, but uh, uh, this time, uh, by and large, I think they were able to... Um, uh, uh, bring it home and the, the uh, checkers to the, uh, at the finish uh, or be able to bring it back to the line and take the checkers there. Uh, so um, a really impressive race there too. 
Yeah, it definitely was an impressive race, and it was a it was an exciting race. I know we were recording last week's episode while we were. I, I know Elliot, you and I had it up on our phones, and we kind of made reference to it. Uh, I think it was a a good race. It was exciting. I mean, that wreck at the end when they you know came to the line. It, but congratulations to Ben Rhodes on that. Um, I, I do want to say, you know, they used to give out, I don't know if you guys re- remember this, um, Motor Racing Network used to give out the Goodies Headache Powder Award for, you know, someone who have a hard luck that day. And I got to say, I think Haley Deegan probably earned that because she was doing well she was running pretty consistent and then um got into an accident near the end and i think she would have had a really good finish that day and probably definitely top 20 maybe top 15 for sure and she got caught in that so i mean i that so I think she'll learn, you know, she's going to learn how to handle these trucks. So I think she's going to be very promising this year with that. But yeah, congrats, Ben Rhodes and Thor Sport Racing on that. Yep. Uh, Deegan was definitely having a solid race. Um, uh, Actually got taken out um, trying to avoid a slower truck uh, coming off a turn two i think there was some speedy dry um that was uh, uh limiting visibility a little bit um mm-hmm. and uh the uh, if i remember the story they told the uh, talked about this in the on the door bumper clear podcast i think somebody in front of her checked up um a little bit more than um uh, she was expecting and so she had to take evasive action to avoid running in the the back of that truck um and when that happened uh uh, truck got away from her and it, it uh, sent her off into the uh, the inside wall on the back stretch. So um, uh, it was an unfortunate end to uh, uh, or at least uh, to her, her uh, um, competition in that race. She still finished the race uh, 24th, uh, three laps down. Uh, so she's, she's still finished, but uh, in terms of uh, competing for a lead lap finish and uh, potentially a win uh, wayside at that point. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, any thoughts? Well, you got to give a nod to uh, Ben Rhodes as being a team player. When in his post-win interview, he gave the shout-out to his teammate, saying that if it wasn't for Matt Crofton, I wouldn't have been able to win that race. Like, with him at my back, I was able to secure. You got to respect the guys for not just, you know, celebrating their own win, but acknowledging that without the team, I'd be nowhere. Um, teamwork now more than ever uh, is so critical to winning uh, at uh, super speedway events. Uh, so good on them there. Um, so with that said, we're going to uh, pull in for four tires and gas. We're going to take ourselves a little break. Um, and on the other side, our spotlight uh, segment, we're going to talk about uh, the ratings and uh, some comments on the state of NASCAR. This is from Checker to Green. The 
from Check It to Green podcast. We'll be right back. Enjoying what you're listening to? Join the conversation. Look us up on Facebook at From Checker to Green Podcast. Also find us on Twitter. Is there a particular segment you enjoy? Tell us. A topic you'd like us to discuss? Let us know. If you're enjoying this episode as well, find the rest of the podcast on podcasts.com and Apple Podcasts. We look forward to hearing from you in the discussion. And now, back to From Checker to Green Podcast. Welcome back, Grace fans, and we are kicking off the Spotlight segment. We are going to get into talking about the NASCAR ratings from the Daytona 500, or the TV ratings from Daytona, and we're also going to have a little discussion about the state of NASCAR. Elliot, why don't you kick us off with the TV ratings, and we'll give some thoughts. Yes, sir. Uh, So these numbers come from sportsmediawatch.com. Um, and, uh, the ratings for Daytona this year were not good. Um, they averaged, uh, a 2.8 and 4.83 million viewers, uh, on Fox. Um, and that is the, uh, the lowest in the history of this race. Um, and that, uh, comes off of, uh, an all time low last year, um, but dropped another 36% in ratings and 34% in viewership um, from what happened last year. Um, and now granted, as we talked about in the last set, there was a, uh, a very lengthy red flag uh, owing to rain and lightning uh, that delayed the race uh, for over five hours. So that was a big part of it. Um, I know we had the wreck that on lap 14, which then rain came and well, they had lightning strike first and then that put the red flag out. Yes. Um, but with all that said, um, you know, it was a, it was a good race. Um, and it's, it's a real shame that uh, ratings were that low. Um, you know, and this has been a, uh, kind of a, a, a trend here, especially on uh, tracks uh, on the East Coast um, and on some of these bigger events, like and especially the Daytona 500, where they insist on trying to start the race in the middle of the afternoon, three, four o'clock, um, to uh, try and and uh, um, start the race closer to noontime out on the West Coast uh, or early afternoon. And um, you know, all you're doing there is just limiting the, uh, the amount of daylight and the amount of time that, uh, people on the East coast and people in your biggest markets, um, are able to watch the race. Um, because, you know, for, for all the talk about the West coast markets, and I'll confess, I don't know, uh, you know, how much, um, you know, the, the, uh, LA basin or, uh, San Francisco or, um, you know, the Northwest or Idaho or um, Nevada, Vegas, um, you know, how, how much any of them, uh, uh, you know, what the ratings are in those markets, but consistently the highest TV markets are here in the Southeast and especially in the Carolinas. Um, and so all you're doing is, uh, you know, pushing the race to a point where, um, you know, and y'all talked about this yourselves, um, 
to where you can't uh, watch it anymore because it's going so late in the evening. Or you have, you know, the casual viewer that's like, oh, it's Daytona. I'll tune in and watch this. Um, that when it, it gets halted because of rain, then you lose that casual viewer and they go on and do something else. So, you know, I know I'm kind of going off on a, on a little bit of a tangent here, but when NASCAR was coming up in the 90s, uh, which was, you know, when I, I uh, became an avid fan of the sport, Daytona started at one o'clock in the afternoon. All the races did. They started at 12 or they started at one. Um, and if there was rain threatening, they moved the startup. Um, and even the, the hurry up start didn't happen this time. And something's got to change with that, you know, and I know, uh, you know, Fox has their own uh, programming that they want to uh, bring into it and everything. But, um, you know, I think that we need to get back to, um, you know, what helped NASCAR grow because NASCAR was growing in the nineties into the, into the two thousands. And it was in part on starting races at 12 or one o'clock. Everybody seemed to do just fine with that. I don't understand why we can't go back to it. Gentlemen, your thoughts? I, I got to agree with you on that. And and even Dale Jr. echoed this on his podcast this week on the Dale Jr. download that, yeah, the, the, I mean, it, he, he remembers, I go to church, I watch the race. 12 o'clock starts. I remember that. I mean, it, it actually worked in favor more with the 12 o'clock starts i mean i mean what's what's the advantage of starting at three o'clock you go into dinner time the nfl doesn't start at three o'clock they have games at one and four and then they have a sunday night game the the thing with nascar and i just don't get it is these these late starts don't help the east coast they help the West Coast more, but I mean, when you have a 12 o'clock start, you can factor in for rain. So you at least know you could get a majority of the race in. I mean, and with Daytona, you could drive the track. Okay, so let's say they start at noon. Let, let's say Daytona started at noon. And let's figure in, you know, by the time the rain came, um, you know, they were, you know, they, it was probably around 334. Um, so let's say, you know, if it was a noon start, you probably are about maybe, you know, near the end of the race. You can call it there. You can call it right there. And then you, you, you know, you can red flag it. I mean, I, I think these tracks putting lights up don't um, – I, I think what hurts them is I think NASCAR can say, hey, we can go as late as we want. Well, yeah, that's fine if you're on the West Coast, but on the East Coast, I got to work the next day. I'm not going to stay up on a Sunday night, early Monday morning to watch a race. I read, I mean, if it's a Saturday night, fine. But if it's a Sunday, it, it, this goes, where, where am I getting this? So, so, you know, where this talk comes from. 
Super Bowl. How may how much has that talk come up with the Super Bowl? Hey, why do they do it at six thirty on Sunday night? Why not do it Saturday? So I I think what NASCAR needs to do is they're they're going to need to start looking at this. Um, if you're going to do this late of a start, they either do the race on a Saturday. Or Sundays, you said at a certain time. I, you know, Fox has shift programming because of it. Um, I, Elia, I remember you, you sending us a, a group message saying that, oh, they were concerned about their show Wild Cherries. Well, what's going to get you more money? Uh, you know, you know how much is NASCAR paying you to keep you on? And then the rings were down. So, I. I just, I, it baffles me as well on it. Ryan, your thoughts? Well, based on the poking around that I've done, what I found is the reason, at least that most people who are, you know, have their finger on that pulse have to say, is that going to your Super Bowl point is NASCAR wants to try to take advantage of those primetime ratings. The problem is, and to all the other lifelong racing fans out there, please don't burn me at the stake for saying this. NASCAR doesn't have the same size fan base as most other major sports groups. I have I, metrics to back I, that up. I, 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 I got to agree with you on that. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they you know, have a lot of fans, but I, I have to agree. I mean, you put that up against the NFL, the NFL beats them any day. I mean, the NFL look, beats them. Major League Baseball beats them. The NBA will beat them. And even the NHL will beat them. I, I'm shocked that the NHL beats them. But, yeah, I was pretty surprised but, when I found but, that out, too. But, but, but that's Canada. You, you got to remember the what, what drives the NHL is, is Canadian. It's true. It is, well, we appreciate our friends up there. Fans. Oh yeah, I I I agree with you on it. I mean, look at look at the championships. Look at NASCAR when it's on NBC in the fall. They have to get that race in before Sunday night football. So I, yeah, I just don't I. Ryan, I'm I'm not gonna disagree with you on that. On that point, I, I sorry, proceed, sir. Don't mean to it, cut you off. It's valid. Yep. Yeah. The reason that that will never work is because with their smaller fan base size, they're not going to get the viewership in the primetime slots like the other major sports will, because. Again, across all the time zones from east to west coast, there's a fairly even dispersion of like any major. Let's go with the NFL because that was a recent one. A fairly even dispersion of NFL fans from one coast to the other. So in the primetime slots, they can still get their ratings numbers no matter who's watching. NASCAR, if you think about where most of the major tracks are, I dare say the lion's share of them are east coast. Would yeah. that be a fair assessment? Well, south, yeah. south and east, yeah, mm -hmm. north, but north, say on north, eastern and south time zone, east. yeah, 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 east, maybe central, but 
yeah it those means two primarily yeah so I, i'm gonna throw a quick question out to you guys play devil's advocate here because we're gonna get into this with the state of nascar eventually tv deal coming up with fox tv deal probably come up with nascar eventually in the next couple of years your contracts if you're if you're steve um if you're steve phelps do you go to do you go to fox and and nbc and say hey our rings are down we want to push it you know we, we we need to make some changes here you guys want more content to cover what what do you do what 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 do you do? Play devil's advocate or tell me what you guys think you would do if you were in that position. I know what I would do. Shoot. What I would do is I'm sure they have enough ratings data to see where the majority of their fan base and viewership is. And what you have to do, it plays to a point that you mentioned, Dave, is you need to structure your racing schedule around where the majority of your fan base is watching that will drive up your ratings because you'll have the maximum amount of viewership from your fans as well as again with scheduling say inclement weather happens that way you have more time to play with where you can either adjust it forward or back depending on when the weather's coming in or if you're hip deep into the race and then the weather forecast starts to turn south as you said as well you can cut the race right there cut the losses from commercial revenue, but at the same time, your fans aren't going to be annoyed because they still got to see the majority of the waste, the waste race. I know words really. (laughs) You'd be able to have a definite ending without having to try to do any crazy scheduling gymnastics. Yeah. And then uh, Fox or, you know, whoever the, the uh, uh, network is that's, that's covering it. Uh, but especially if you're on, you know, the main network, be it Fox, NBC, whatever the case, um, they don't have to blow up their entire evening's programming, uh, entire evening's programming as well. Um, because I'll confess, I'm not, um, I don't recall offhand, I, they may or may not have had to change around their, uh, their evening um, programming, you know, at least somewhat, uh, to accommodate, you know, what may or may not happen uh, at the racetrack. Uh, am I right? Well, well, yeah. I mean, they, they had to kick a premiere out. They they had a premiere of a show. They kicked Wild Cherries out. I think they moved it to the you know one of the other nights. But the issues are is you you have these premiere shows. So like Fox, you've got The Simpsons. Well, they've been with them for 30 seasons. So it's like, you know, it's like people going, oh, I want to watch, watch my Sunday night shows. Well, there's NASCAR on. Great. You know, and it hurts them. It's, I mean, I think they, I agree. They need to go back to the noon one o'clock starts. Yeah. Everybody wins. It, it, it's it's going to get the highest ratings. And hey, you're in California. Hey, 10 a.m. I can eat my breakfast and watch NASCAR. Yep. And then or, you got the race is over in plenty of time for you to do whatever you got to do in the afternoon. Yep. And, you know, you still got most of the rest of your day. 
and I think you gotta tell. I I mean, and I think, and I, th- and I think this is where maybe Fox needs to say, you know, if you're taking the on the other end of NBC and Fox and say, hey guys, we we gotta start earlier, um, and if not, it could, you know, it, there's gonna eventually have to be that meeting of of both sides but yeah it's if if this continues to hurt them then i mean you're gonna have to start figure they're gonna have to start figuring out with tv deals coming up in the next couple of years yep especially with daytona yes um although in this case um you know if it was fox that was kind of dictating what the, uh, the programming was, you know, the pre-race and how long all that was going to take, um, you know, then you know, maybe they need to kind of figure that out uh, for themselves as well. Um, because, you know, the ratings being, you know, what they were, um, you know, certainly, um, you know, a, a bitter pill to swallow for um, all of the buildup to the 500, um, you know, and the, the, um, uh, you know, a, a really solid speed week that was, uh, you know, building up to it. Yeah. Uh, so with that and, said, let's oh, go ahead. And, and then building the, the best season ever. Yeah. And it still so, very well could be, but it, it, it didn't get off to a, you know, a very good start here. Well, let, I mean, they got the road course tomorrow or, or they got the road course this week and then they got Homestead. Let, let's see. Let, let's, um, let's, garage you know they say park lot let's put this one in the garage and let's see where we end up in a few weeks when coda and darlington throw back and bristol on dirt happen and let's see where the ratings sit for that let's let's do that um you know let's also see you know because there there is a lot of positive development happening in the sport Mm -hmm. uh right now And, and let's uh let's talk about that a little bit because um uh, right before um, the 500 happened, um, the, I believe the, uh, the president of NASCAR, Steve yeah. Phelps, uh, sat down with the media um, and fielded a lot of questions and talked about a lot of different aspects of the sport. Um, and, um, you know, there was, it was kind of a, um, you know, in reading the transcript, it was kind of a report card on some things that uh, they started to do in 2020. Um, you know, some uh, some arguably some bold moves, um, you know, especially uh, looking through the lens of the sports historical, uh, you know, for the from their past, and you know, wondering what those those moves were going to do. Um, matter of fact, if you listen to um, you know some early ep- uh, early episodes of of this podcast, I believe the second or third one, um, you know, we were talking about um, you know what what the uh, end result of this was going to be. Um, and so this is kind of a, a good opportunity to kind of circle back around to that and see, okay, what did that do for the sport um, from a business standpoint, um, you know, from an interest of, of fans, old and new, um, you know, of people that may or may not want to be involved in the sport now. Um, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, and, um, I remember, um, in particular, Ryan, you talked about when, uh, the, the news came out about the ban, uh, they were going to ban the Confederate flag. 
at the race, uh, at the at the, uh, the the at the racetracks, um, and uh, you had noted that it was going to be um, something very interesting, uh, you know, from a, a business standpoint um, to keep an eye on, regardless of whether or not it was the right thing to do. And I think we all agreed it was the right thing to do. Um, but you know, how is that going to um, play? You know, in terms of uh, the bottom line, numbers, and dollars and cents. And the, um, uh, the information that we've got here kind of speaks for itself. And some of the news that's come out recently speaks for itself as well. So, uh, David, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, mo- most certainly. And I- anyone who's listening, if you want to read the transcript, you can actually get it on jsky.com. Just do a search uh, in their news section. They have the transcript. It, um, if you print it out, it's 16 pages, but it, it was definitely informative. And most certainly, I mean, the, the first thing I, I read through it when Steve Phelps was talking about it was he touched on the social justice and the Confederate flag. And what I got from it is he knows that he wants to have racing fans. Um, he knows that the sport needs to grow. Um, you know, I, I think we can go back to 2001 when the, the sports started to change um, with, with the death of Dale Earnhardt, you know, 20 years ago. And I, you know, they lost the ambassador to the sport. And I, I kind of want to say they've been in this fog that's finally lifting that that's starting to lift it's been a 20-year fog i i feel but um you know the the thing he talked about it and i and i quote from this is you know he says i'm happy to talk about that moving forward, it's important to us, was a line from what he said in his opening remarks. And, you know, he knows he wants racing fans. He knows that he has to accept this. So that decision was they, after they did that decision, they did some brand tracking. And they, they looked at avid fans. 16 plus years as an avid fan, it uh, favorable to unfavorable ratio, it was three to one. And this course, was the the uh, the banning of the Confederate flag, right? Yep, yep. Okay. And their stance on so- social justice for four to 15 year avid fans, it was a six to one ratio. For zero to three, it was eight to one. So, what does that tell me? Probably the older fans, um, they were either indifferent on it um, and were like, eh, okay, I'll just stay, uh, you know, and there's probably some diehard fans who said, I'm done, I'm out of here, whatever. But as you got to the younger, you got to how long you were a fan, you saw that favorable rating go up more which means, you know, a lot of people take this issue to heart. 
I mean, it is a hot issue in this country right now. I'm not going to get into the politics. I don't want to get into the politics of it, but we all can agree it's a hot issue. And mm-hmm. he took the right step forward. And through this transcript, he does talk about that. I think you're going to see this play into the charter system down the road. Um, that, you know, he mentioned, you know, he wants to see what measures he wants to put into place with this. The next gen, you see Michael Jordan get involved with this. You were seeing athletes like Elliot, you and I were talking before we started recording our episode, this episode about Elvin Carmera getting into it. Um, yep. You know, there's a um, Buffalo Bills running back who's getting into it. Um, uh, Ryan, um, if you remember the guy who played against the Dolphins who scored the touchdown in week 17 for the Bills, um, Williams, I think is. I yep, think, Antonio Williams. Yes, Antonio Williams. He's into it. Um, you, Brad Doherty's into it. Or um, <clears throat> You're... This is a, this was a smart move, and I think it's going to pay off dividends down the road. Um, you know, he got into a little bit of the Fox and all that, but one thing he talked about, he was asked about diversity, and one of the things I got from that is um, – you know, he wants to create more opportunity for women and minorities in the company. And I think the one thing that besides making these social justice moves is I think he knows Roger Penske is doing this in IndyCar. Mm-hmm. And I think if he didn't make these moves, he knew he's going to get ran over by IndyCar by someone who owns a team in his series as well. So it's um, it's a great read. And I, I, I think business standpoint, I think Phelps knows it's a big, big task, but he knows he can do it. And he's set to make these changes. Yep. Uh, and, you know, clearly it was um... – you know, when you uh, look at the the history of the sport um, and, you know, where it was going to go from this, it was a gamble. Um, but um, at the same time, it, you know, it had to be done um, and it was the right thing. And I think what you're seeing here with, um, you know, all of the, um, uh, you know, all of the new fans coming in, um, the, uh, the diversity of, of, uh, a lot of new fans, um, and the diversity of the, um, the interest that's coming in as well. We talked about, um, the, uh, um, the two NFL players, Antonio Williams and Alvin Kamara, um, also Pitbull, um, became a, uh, uh bought into uh, track house racing, which is the number 99 cup team, um, that Justin Marks. Uh, put together. Yeah, with Suarez as the driver. Yep, with Daniel Suarez driving. Um, and then, you know, uh, perhaps with the most visibility is uh, uh, Michael Jordan. T 
teaming up with uh, Denny Hamlin to uh, run a car for uh, Bubba Wallace. And um, it was also uh, notable hearing um, Freddie Kraft, who spots for the number 23 car in Bubba Wallace, uh, coming over from the 43 car last year, um, note that, uh, or suggest at the very least, that um, there's a possibility that team might expand in 2022. Um, so the interest um, and with it, um, the investment um, from, um, you know, we talked before, you know, riding, rising tide lifts, lifts all boats. Um, and, you know, you, if you need, um, you know, any clearer evidence uh, of that um, than this, uh, you know, I, I, I'd tell you to, to get your eyes checked, but, um, uh, but it's, this is definitely, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the numbers speak for themselves. And I think uh, Steve Phillips was right in, in discussing that. Um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it was notable in some of the numbers that, uh, that they were seeing too, in terms of fans that, uh, that left versus stayed. Um, and those are just the fans that they had. And, you know, we're not even talking about uh, new fans that were coming in because yeah. of this. So there's that too. Uh, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Well, one thing I observed with the leading up to and the day of the Daytona 500 is now I admit I probably spent a little too much time on social media than I should. But one thing I noticed as far as advertising and promotion for the Daytona 500 on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, I found nothing where if I was, you know, just a casual observer, I would have never known there was a racing event going on that day. And I think that's one thing that they're definitely not taking full advantage of. If they had a stronger social media preference, preference presence and advertised on those locations, I think they could have drawn in a lot of new viewers this year, especially with their need to, you know, bulk up the viewership after the pitfalls of last year. That's the sort of thing they really need to consider because it's the way of the future, the digital age. I I definitely have to agree with you about that, but but there is one one point to that, Ryan. I, I gotta make, and what's that, that sir? Is, and that is, you know, the comments after, like, if you follow the NASCAR page on Facebook, when they made that move to ban the Confederate flag. The, the comments on, on Twitter and, you know, to them and, you know, it, it was mixed reaction and people are like, ah, you know, to the, you know, to the heck with them, you know, this is, you know, this is wrong. And, you know, this takes away from, from what NASCAR is. Well, I, I'm, I, I gotta say, it, it, you know, social media would be good. Um, I think they've got to, um, I, I think you if you're good do that then I think you gotta promote it through the racing you know you, you know we talk about you know when when we go into the breaks with our podcast what do we mention we mention where you can find us and everything um you know what social media page you know how to contact us that's what NASCAR's gonna need to do 
especially when it comes down to the streaming services eventually and, and how things are going to shake out from that, which is going to be a whole nother ball game, which, you know, we, we we're going to, which is probably going to come up year after year. I, I, I have to say this is probably going to come up quite a bit this year about the streaming services, but they have to promote that through the broadcast and they don't. They do not. Oh, they there's don't... nary a peep out of them. No, they don't. They 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 promote stuff. Oh, Twitter this, you know, Bush, Twitter. Well, they promote yourself. It's like what I, I watch the Buffalo Sabres games and, and they say, Hey, listen to now I'm in Syracuse. Get through MSG. And they're like Hey, listen to Howard and Jeremy on the morning. Mari Baran's gonna be on. He listen to him every Thursday on WGR or go to you know, go You listen to the broadcast online. Hey, listen to us on radio.com or follow us here. This is the you, where's the disconnect? <laughs> if a local team can do it in a local market. Why can't you do it for a national market? Those My are rant. really good questions. Um, but um, I know we're going to have to wrap this up here in a couple of minutes, but there are a couple of things I want to touch on here before we wrap this segment up. Um, and David, you touched on streaming. Um, and that was a part of the, the conversation here. Um, and I think especially with NBCSN leaving at the end of the year, um, you know, there's, there's definitely some additional questions about that. Um, but uh, Phelps noted that uh, the USA Network, um, which is you know kind of where they're thinking uh, you know NBCSN related uh, racing programming may uh, gravitate towards, um, has a little bit more um, accessibility. Um, uh, Phelps noted in his transcript here, I think he said there were six uh, uh, six million more homes that had USA than had NBCSN. So. Um, you know, now whether or not they can turn USA into a sports network is, you know, to be seen. But um, one thing that they talked about in here was the future of uh, broadcasting NASCAR races and whether or not they foresaw themselves getting into the streaming business. And Phelps seemed to um, throw cold water on that, at least from NASCAR's side. Um, and indicated that might be more of like a peacock thing, that might be more of an NBC thing. Um, and I think that's a, a smart move for them because when we talked about this in uh, the last episode or two, um, when it was announced that NBCSN was going away, um, I think it's a, it would be a very foolish endeavor for NASCAR to get into streaming and start charging subscription fee um, to, for people to watch um, you know, NASCAR races. Um, and I think NBC needs to be very careful about that as well uh, from, uh, uh, you know, from their side and the Peacock uh, service. But um, I think it was, it was a, uh, relieving at the very least to hear that NASCAR was not interested in going down that road right now, at least. Um, and I think that's the right answer. What are your thoughts? I, I, I definitely agree, really, you know, j- just to cap the segment here, I, I agree. 
I mean, the USA Network, NASCAR used to be on the USA Network. It was from, according to this article on Forbes.com, from 1982 to 1986 and has an estimated reach of 86 million households. Um, uh, you know, while and NBCSN has, has had a reach of 80 million and, and that, that's going to go with TV packages. And, you know, that's a whole nother um, topic we can get into down the road about this is, you know, the, you know, how people watch it. And I think it's a smart move. I, I think they will, would push for the USA network. I think, um, th- that's going to be something really good for them to do. I-, I-, I think you'll see a bump in viewership. Um, it's just gonna, you know, we'll we'll just have to see how how it plays out. It's going to be a gamble for sure, but yeah, I I'm glad he put cold water on that and kind of said uh, we're we're not going in down that path right now with streaming. And, you know, I I think they're going to have to see what happens when TV contracts come up and that takes us back to TV. Yep. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts? I have to agree with both of you. The fact that they're not jumping onto the streaming service bandwagon right away, I think is going to be a very, very smart move, especially down the line. The ratings information alone shows they're, really not ready to have their own exclusive streaming service and piggybacking on another subscription service, I think might cost them more viewers instead of gaining. If they do manage to get on the USA network and get even a percentage of the extra viewership from that, I think that can do nothing but help them in terms of the short term and the long term in terms of turning around viewership, gaining new fans and possibly even, you know, expanding their horizons. But we're going to have to see how that plays out. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and uh, one final thought here before we, uh, we finish up. Um, so I hear the, uh, the engine running on fumes, so we need to get into pit road here pretty quick. Um, but uh, they also talked about uh, the wants of Fox in particular um, for NASCAR to bring back practice and qualifying obviously the uh, pandemic and uh, the response to that and um, you know local and state laws you know that kind of has some bearing as to what happens with all that but um, uh, the fact that Fox says we want this back um, and as soon as possible um, is a good thing to hear from a business standpoint, because that means at the very fundamental, and we don't know the numbers exactly, but at the very fundamental level, um, it means that those uh, sessions, those practice sessions, qualifying sessions, mean something to Fox. And if they mean something to them, then that means they're probably profitable. And so um, we like to uh, we like to hear about that kind of green, right, gentlemen? Most certainly, absolutely. Well, Elliot, you said best. We're on some fumes here. Let's get some, let's get four tires, some gas, and we'll be back with the green segment. <laughs> 
This is From Checker to Green. From Checker to Green podcast, we'll be right back. Do you want your business to stand head and shoulders above your competitors? Consider Samurai Graphics. Are you just starting up? Contact Samurai Graphics to get a logo design and have that new logo and identity put on whatever material and mailers that your business needs to get your name out there and drum up business. Business cards, letterheads, stationery, whatever you need to get your name out there and get your name heard and seen by all your customers. Contact Samurai Graphics at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business design solution. And now we're back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, Ryan, and welcome back. And we've got some, we've got our green segment coming up. Now, as the racing season's getting going, we've actually got NASCAR underway here. And this weekend, they're going to be doing the Daytona Road Course. This was a schedule change that was made um, about a few months, about a couple months ago with can- with California being under the, the pandemic conditions, um, having their restrictions. NASCAR made a move to do the second race of the year at the Daytona Road Course. Elliot, you want to lead us with some talk about that? Yes, sir. Um, I was actually trying to talk a little bit before, too, but my uh, uh, I was on mute the whole time. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Uh, that was all me. Um, so, yeah, it's the uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts 253 is the, uh, the name of the race this, this coming weekend. Um, the uh, qualifying lineup has already been set. There's no qualifying for this race. Uh, they're using the metric that uh, they put together for the um, uh, for races in the 2020 season. Um, you got Chase Elliott starting on pole with Michael McDowell second. Uh, Austin Dillon, Denny Hamlin make up row two. Kevin Harvick and Ryan Priest row three. Corey LaJoy and Kyle Larson row four. And Ross Chastain and Bubba Wallace make up row number five. Um, I believe there were 40 cars for 40 positions, so nobody missed the race here. Um, and uh, this is going to be an interesting race. I don't think the, um, the weather is necessarily going to have a big uh, impact on this one. Uh, it's supposed to be pretty dry across much of the East Coast this coming weekend. Um, so we're not going to see like the truck race this evening that just concluded not long ago um, was run uh, largely in the wet. Um, and I don't think we're going to see the same thing, uh, for the Xfinity or the cup races, uh, Saturday and Sunday respectively. So, um, what we'll see here is just, okay. Um, who can, um, you know, there's not going to be a lot of, uh, distractions per se, uh, from the weather or anything else. It's going to be just get out there and, you know, uh, uh, run that car f- to its absolute limits uh, because the, uh, the track will, will most likely be able to support it. Um, temperatures are going to be pretty cool, especially on Saturday. So it'll be pretty interesting to see how uh, the Xfinity cars in particular respond to that. Um, but, um, you know, here you've got uh, two really good road course racers starting up front for the cup race, uh, Chase Elliott, 
who has been, uh, you know, very notable in the last few years for his road course prowess, um, is on pole. Uh, that's not good news for the rest of the field, quite frankly. And uh, Michael McDowell, he's, you know, is also a pretty solid road course racer himself. Um, uh, Kevin Harvick has, has done well on uh, road courses before. Um, I think Christopher Bell has before also. He's starting in uh, position number 12. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens here. But um, but yeah, certainly uh, Chase Elliott rolling off from position number one is, is uh, a, a huge help to his chances. And uh, with somebody that good, you don't need to give them, uh, you know, that kind of an advantage. But uh you know, by virtue of his finishing position in the 500, he has earned just that. I I think it's going to be really, I, I think it's going to be a good race. I mean, Chase Elliott on the pole, you know, he's he's going for that record that Jeff Gorn has held with consecutive road course wins at six. But, I mean, I'm looking to the starting lineup here. And one of the things that I notice is Ryan Blaney's 27. He's a good road course racer. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Blaney does with him being back that far in the pack. Um, Same with Truex. It'll be interesting. He starts 19th, but it, it came out today that, you know, NASCAR realized from the Bush clash, the bus stop on the back stretch that they wanted to reduce the amount of dirt that came out. So they mm-hmm. put more speed bumps, the turtles in. And I was watching the pre-race for the trucks tonight on Fox Sports 1. And one of the things they said is, you got to think these cars are probably only a couple inches off the ground. Well, these turtles are height are about six inches. So they're higher. So you're the question that's going to come out is who, you know, what damage is going to happen when somebody hits these. Um, so I think it's going to play a, a, I think strategy's going to play big into it um you know chase elliott i i think definitely going to be the clear favorite and i'm going to look to see how they go through the bus stop this weekend ryan your thoughts oh this is definitely going to be interesting with chase elliott leading the way and what can i say about his prowess and skill in road courses that has already been said by you Elliot, myself, and a million other people, at least a million other times. He clearly has the skill. I think you're going to watch everybody else from Michael McDowell all the way down doing their best Chase Elliott impressions on a road course to make sure that they can keep up with him. And Michael McDowell, even though he's right behind him, I think in the Daytona 500 shows that he has the patience to wait even up until the last minute and that he's not afraid to make a move to go for the win. So, Chase Elliott may be in front of him, but I think he's smart enough to know not to sleep on him. I would agree. And I think he also may be smart enough to know as well um, to uh, try and get out as far ahead 
um, from Ryan Blaney as possible, <laughs> yeah. uh, given what happened during the uh, the clash on the same course. Um, I, absolutely. I, I, I think, yeah, but they patched that up. They, they, they had their heart to heart. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, it, it's exciting. I mean, I, I, I'm going to kind of wonder about Kyle Busch. Um, the road course at Daytona bit him last year. I mean, it was just sure luck that he, where he was in the Bush clash to, mm-hmm. to win it. I mean, you just put yourself at the right point at the right time, but I think it's going to be very interesting to see what the strategy is going to be. Um, you know, with the trucks, I mean, there there was some definite strategy going on tonight, and um, we'll touch base more on it next episode, but, you know, Ben Rhodes won it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Michael McDowell can, you know, say, hey, I swept Daytona. I won the 500 and the road course. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. So it should be a good, good race this weekend. But three o'clock start again. I, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully the weather doesn't uh, bite him this time. But Uh, it doesn't doesn't look like it will but under the lights finish. So should be interesting that you got, that's going to play an effect. Indeed. No doubt of that. Yep. So let's, uh, let's move on to uh, our final thoughts. Is that okay? It works for me if it works for you. Yeah, I'm set. All right. Um, So moving on to our final thoughts for, um, uh, for this episode. Um, And uh, it's, uh, all, all three of us have, have been racing fans for a long time. Um, and remember this day, um, you know, clear as, clear as a bell. Um, and uh, we're talking about February 18th, 2001, the day that we lost uh, arguably the greatest of all time, uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. on the last lap of the 2001 Daytona 500. Um, for, uh, for some, it was, uh, it was a sad day. Uh, for others, it was... Um, it was, it was like losing a family member, um, and a complete transformation of how a lot of people saw NASCAR, um, and how a lot of people, um, saw, uh, the drivers and how they, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was, it was a really sad day. Um, and a lot of, um, introspection and reflection that came afterwards. So, um, wanted to, um, kind of open up the floor and, um, you know, everyone kind of give their thoughts, you know, what, uh, what they remember from that day and, uh, what they have taken away from, uh, seniors passing, um, to what it means for NASCAR and for the motorsports enterprise in general sense. As I sit here and I think about that day, I can picture that entire final lap with absolute clarity, detail for detail, and just realizing it was in the blank, he was gone. And it shakes me to this day. They like I watched that happen live. I'll never forget that. But the only silver lining that I feel came from that was the ramped up safety measures, and especially the Hans devices. And 
similar crashes have happened in races previous after the Hans devices were introduced and those drivers walked away from them. So I think a debt of gratitude is owed to Dale Earnhardt. Like what happened to him spurred the action to make sure it never happened to anyone else. Um, well, uh, like, like both you, um, you know, I remember where it was and, um, uh, you know, when the wreck happened, um, and you know, where, where I found out, um, you know, that he had passed away and, um, it was, you know, unbelievable to me that, you know, that wreck took him, um, you know, when I heard that, that, uh, cause they had said at the time he had reportedly been killed. They hadn't confirmed it yet, supposedly. Um, and I was like, from what that I've seen him, you know, hit head on at Talladega twice, at least on fire the whole nine and you know get you know be upside down and you know cars just you know pinballing off you know treating them like a pinball and he walked away from that with a you know uh broken sternum walked away from it you know guy was was uh you know was was iron man you know they called him iron head for a while but he was he was the iron man you know nobody could nothing could take him and you know this day, you know, it, it, it took him. Um, so um, Bob Pockris did a, a really good piece um, on, you know, what that day meant for the, for the sport um, and what it's meant since. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the reckoning, um, you know, that happened much as I suppose uh, when Jim Clark passed away in 1968, I think it was. Um, and the changes that happened for Formula One in the years following. Um, I think much the same thing happened here. Uh, Pockris did a really good job in kind of touching on that and, and um, you know, some of the uh, significant moments that occurred, um, you know, in the years following. And the, the validation, I guess, of... Um, all of the work that had been done on safer cars, safer tracks, safer walls, um, and the lives that, uh, that were saved. Um, he, uh, he quoted Dr. Dean Sicking of the University of Nebraska, um, who was the inventor of the safer barrier, um, who said, um, if you had told me in 2003 that uh, not one driver would die in NASCAR, uh, you know, at least the three uh, main touring series, at least um, through 2020, I would have asked if you would have shut the sport down, if the sport sport had been shut down. Um, so it's truly remarkable that, um, you know, while we have seen some drivers, you know, pretty seriously injured at times, um, that, you know, for the crashes that they had that caused said injuries, um, you know, they're still walking the earth today. And that would not have happened, um, you know, had, uh, uh, you know, but for the changes that came about to the sport um, at every level uh, following Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s passing. Um, but his influence is, you know, uh, on the track and off. Um, the guy was the sheriff. He was the sheriff of the garage. Um, and... Uh, he had the ear of NASCAR leadership like nobody else. Um, and that's pretty evident 
of uh, where the sport went in the years following his death. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that were done that, uh, you know, never happened before, um, uh, you know, while Senior was here. Um, and so I think that kind of speaks to that. And there's, uh, there was nobody in the garage that um, had the level of cachet and the level of pull that Senior did. Um, and I think that's, you know, the, the fact that they were trying to do driver's unions or associations and things of that nature um, in the years following, I think kind of spoke to how they're, you know, the, uh, by the powers combined, were they trying to achieve, um, you know, what seniors single-handedly commanded. Um, and so uh, the, uh, the sport, I think, uh, in a way, you know, even though, yeah, it was uh, a benevolent dictatorship run by the France family, Mike Helton, et cetera, um, at the end of the day, um, everything went through senior and uh, he had to give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And so um, the sport misses that to this day. Um, the sport misses a lot of, of things um, that senior brought to uh, the sport, brought to motorsports, uh, not just NASCAR, but uh, road racing as well. Um, and uh, he's missed, uh, missed very much. That's well said, gentlemen. And, you know, you guys know I'm Dale and Hurt fan. Have been. Well, I, I remember watching a race and my dad asked, well, who you like? And me and little cat, I'm like, that guy. And the, the guy driving the black car and Dale Earnhardt. And I I enjoyed it. I, you know, I was happy, you know, I, I kind of remember when he won his, his championships in the early 90s, but, um, you know, 94, I, I, I do remember him winning the seventh, tying Richard Petty, um, losing the Brickyard 400 to a up-and-coming Jeff Gordon, um, I mean, you know, I, I, I think about, you know, he defined the, the merchandise market, you know, watching, if you watch that Unrivaled with Gordon and Earnhardt, you know, beat and bang bumpers on Sunday, make the green during the week, um, sell the merchandise, um, you know, he, he brought that, he, he was the ambassador to NASCAR. He was, um, you know, I remember watching him when I rock races and watching, you know, that wreck in 96. And, and to hear this week, you know, Larry McReynolds say, hey, it was that rock really hurt him. You know, he, he kept putting off needed surgery that when he finally had that surgery that maybe 2001 would have been the year he would have won his eight. Who knows if he wasn't iron headed in 96, maybe he would have won it. Maybe he would have stopped Gordon from winning these championships. Maybe he would have won eight, nine, 10. Maybe he would have gone to 10 championships, but, um, you know, th those questions would 
are are gonna remain unanswered. Um, you, you know, he was setting up DEI to eventually have that when he retired, and I, 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 my heart breaks that DEI went the way it did after. I, I mean, I. You know, I, I just wonder what Dale said, what, what Dale would say now on how that went. But I I have to say one thing, and I, I, you know, I've gotten into arguments with people about it. Um, I got arguments and people in high school about it. And, and still to this day, you know, people say, oh, well, if the Hans device, if you wore the Hans device, he would have survived. And I, I'm gonna put a debate to the end right now on that. Everybody, go read through. If you think the Hans device would have saved him, go find Bill Simpson's book through the fire. Read the chapter about Dale, and I'm gonna tell you the answer. It's not the Hans device. It's how the seatbelts were set up. Um, we we had an age of racing where if you you wanted to be comfortable in the race car, so you'd set the seatbelts up. You know, you you'd set the car up on how to be comfortable, and yeah, it did disregard safety aspects. You know, when you install seatbelts, when you install something, you follow the instructions. And I think Andy Petrie said it best. When Dale died five days later, they ramped up the safety. So you got to a, what comes out now with safety is, hey, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. I mean, look at an in-car camera. They must be the, it must be the most uncomfortable feeling in there, but you know, you're safe. And that's the rule is my dad said to me, it is by who races saying, I rather feel uncomfortable. You know, he, he rather feel uncomfortable in a race car because you know, you're safe. Um, you know, my, my dad's buddy had a, a, a hard wreck at a local track um, a few years later. And, you know, he installed the seatbelts to the instruction. And he his chest was bruised. And you know why? He, he realized, hey, I had the seatbelt right. So I, I think... One thing we, we've realized with Dale is safety. And I think if he would have survived the rock, I I go back in my mind is if he survived that and he walked away, who would have been the next one? Um, you know, when Ayrton Senna died, Formula One really took a drastic change. I think when Dale died, they took a, a really drastic change to make sure they wouldn't lose another one. It was a wake-up call. 
and you know i know my hero's gone you know i i miss seeing that car out there every day but anyone who wins who does something like what austin dillon did or what jeff Gorin did or jimmy johnson did what do they do they honor dale and we still honor him every day even fox sports had um nascar race up had a tribute yesterday to him and brian williams says i still drive with the three on my car hey i've got my dale earnhardt diecast and i've got bunch of Dale Earnhardt stuff I do have all the newspapers from Florida when he when he passed away because my youth director got them for me because her husband was at the race but um when, when I was in youth group but yeah safety it's I I think was his I think his sacrifice was probably the ultimate con- contribution and that was safety and and that's where i go with it dale we miss you you know we miss you racing but you're never going to be forgotten agreed and with that the green flag is out and it's time to go racing um this has been an excellent episode um, we touched on a lot of things, um, all things Speed Weeks, um, and reflected on a great racer and a great man. Um, Dale Earnhardt Sr., rest in peace. Definitely. Yeah, never be forgotten. Yeah. So uh, this is from, from Checker to Green. Uh, for me, Elliot Tardif, thank you all very much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. For me, David Mai, thank you for listening. We, we can't wait to you know have you guys hear the next episode have a good evening and from me ryan kolpak pleasure as always to have these conversations with you we'll catch you on the next round thanks for listening to the checkered to green podcast for more information check out our facebook group checkered to green podcast Tune in next time for more insight into the racing business with the Checker to Green podcast.